Hello there, and welcome back to the Paradox Podcast. My name is Craig Hadley, and I am one of the pastors here at Paradox Church, which is based in Redlands, California. We are currently in a nine-year sermon series through all 66 books of the Bible, and we are currently in our 57th book of that series, which is the book of Judges. One thing that's different about Paradox from other churches is that sermons at Paradox are designed to start discussions and not end them. So I hope that my words that I'm about to share with you will ultimately lead to a deeper interior journey. With that, we are looking at Judges chapter 13 today, and this sermon is entitled, The Judgment of Samson's Mother. most well-known story in the book of Judges is the story of Samson. I believe this is because Samson is about as close to a comic book character as we get in all of the Bible. He is given supernatural and superhuman strength by God. And his weakness, his kryptonite, is that if you cut his hair, then he will be rendered powerless. This story has captured the imaginations of many Christians and has led to many Christians being able to remember and recite the story of Samson. But far fewer Christians can tell you the story of Samson's mother. And I personally find her to be a greater hero than her son. The story of Samson's mother takes place in Judges chapter 13. Unfortunately, she is not named in the Bible but she is named in her relationship to the men around her. She is referred to as the wife of Manoah and the mother of Samson. And while she does not receive a name in the text, there is a rabbinic tradition that has named her because they find her to be an important figure in Jewish history. So the rabbis named her Zlel Panath. And in an effort to bring this story more to life, I will be filling in the biblical text with her name because I find her to be much more human when we say her name out loud. And while most people know Zlel Ponth's son because of his superhuman strength, it's important for us to note that Zlel Ponth has a superpower of her own. And this superpower can be found in the Hebrew verb yashab. Now, I don't want to tell you what yashab means quite yet, because I find it to be better when it is revealed in the story. But just know that when we read the text and we come across the Hebrew word yashab, that's when we are talking about Zlelponeth's superpower. So let's begin the story of Zlelponeth and read from Judges chapter 13. We read, there was a certain man of Zorah, which is a town to the west of Jerusalem, of the tribe of the Danites. Now, the author here assumes that you know what the Danites are. A long time ago, one of the great patriarchs of Judaism, a man named Jacob, had 12 different sons with four different women. The fifth oldest son of his was a son named Dan. And Dan grew up to be the patriarch of the tribe of Dan. So when someone is a Danite, it means that their distant ancestor was the son of Jacob, a man named Dan. 
We then keep reading that this man's name from Zora, who was from the tribe of Dan, had a name of his own, and his name was Manoah. Now, you're going to want to remember the name Manoah because he is the other central figure in this story. Manoah is the father of Samson. We return to the text. His wife, Zlelpaneth, was barren, having borne no children. My friends, it's easy for us to skip ahead to the next verse. But there is a lot of weight in those words, isn't there? If you and your partner have tried to get pregnant but could not, you know that barrenness is a tragic experience. There is doubt, disappointment, frustration, despair, and ultimately, loneliness. And this is what Zlel Poneth is living with thousands of years ago. In addition to all of those weighty emotions, Zlel Poneth also needs a son in order to secure her financial future. This was the social security plan of her day. To add even further to that, all the way back in Genesis, there is the first commandment of God given to humankind after God creates men and women and every person in God's own image. That commandment is be fruitful and multiply. So we can assume that Zlel Poneth felt like she was an outsider when it came to religion, felt like she was cursed by God, felt like God had turned God's face from her, which is what makes the next verse so surprising. An angel from God shows up before Zlel Poneth and tells her the following words. Although you are barren, having borne no children, you shall conceive and bear a son. And within an instant, the angel is gone. Now, can you imagine being Zlel Poneth in that moment? Here she is, allegedly just minding her own business. An angel shows up and says, you will have a son and then disappears. We can almost read the energy in the text as to what happens next. Zlel Poneth runs to her husband Manoah and she tries to explain what she just experienced. She says, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like that of an angel of God. Most awe-inspiring. I did not ask him where he came from and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, you shall conceive and bear a son. And reading in between the lines of the text, I imagine that she grabs her husband in a firm embrace and says, we're going to be parents soon. Now Manoah hears this and he is immediately skeptical. He does not respond at all to the news that he will soon be a father for the first time. Instead, Manoah leaves Zlelponeth behind and goes to pray. On his knees, he implores God, O oh Lord, I pray, let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we are to do concerning the boy who will be born. Now, I have to tell you, when I read this part of the text, for me, this feels like Manoah does not believe his wife. 
So when I read this story, I want God to reprimand Manoah and say, maybe you should believe the woman who I sent to you as a messenger. The story continues in verse 9 when we read that God listened to Manoah. And the angel of God came again to Zlelponeth as she Yashab in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her. So God listens to Manoah's prayer, but says, okay, I'll send the angel again, just not to you. Not only that, but we came across that Hebrew verb I referenced earlier, which is yeshab. And when we come across the Hebrew word yeshab, this superpower is basically what brings forward an angel from God. So what exactly is yeshab? What is the verb that describes Zlelponeth's superpower. Well, since you know that Zlelponeth is the mother of Samson, it would stand a reason that she would be jacked just like her son. So maybe the Hebrew word yeshab means to work out. And the Hebrew text reads that God listened to Manoah and the angel of God came again to Zlelponeth as she worked out in the field. Perhaps it means that she levitated And she had the power of flight and the ability to float above the ground. Or another great seer power would be if the Hebrew word yeshav means that she could turn invisible. And she was perfecting that craft while she was in the field. I personally would like it if the Hebrew word yeshav meant that she was in the field honing her eagle powers. But if you've read Judges up until this point, you would say, well, it's probably something violent. So maybe Yashab had the superpower of building a massive amount of weapons in a very short time. And that's what she was doing in the field. And while those are fun to imagine when I tell you that Zlelponeth has superpowers, they are nothing compared to what the Hebrew word Yashab actually means. And to discuss that, I'd like to turn your attention to a movie I recently saw called The Sound of Metal. Now, many people will tell you that Sound of Metal is a movie about a metal drummer going deaf. The drummer's name is Ruben. And as you can imagine, if you were a metal drummer and you were going deaf, Ruben goes through a severe identity crisis. This is a problem because Ruben has a history of addiction and his girlfriend, Lou, is very worried that Ruben will have a serious relapse back into substance abuse. After making several calls, Lou finds a rural shelter for deaf recovering addicts run by a man named Joe in the countryside and she takes Ruben there immediately. Ruben is not happy with this arrangement. He does not want to be in rehab. He does not want to be in rehab for deaf people. He does not want to be deaf. So he has this massive amount of frustration, but after some time he agrees to stay because he realizes he is out of options. After several scenes at the shelter that show how hard it is for Ruben to integrate into the life of the shelter, the director of the facility, Joe, decides to invite Reuben into his office. Joe is able to speak to Reuben with the aid of a special machine that transcribes everything that Joe says. So Joe says to Reuben, I've got a little assignment for you. 
Okay? You get up early, right? Ruben kind of rolls his eyes and then says, Yeah, pretty early, yeah. Joe then says, I'll have hot coffee waiting for you at 5.30. Is that early enough for you? Ruben, completely disinterested, says, I don't know, I guess. Joe continues, and I'll uh, provide a room for you. What for? Reuben asks. There's nothing that needs to be accomplished in this room, Joe says. All I want you to do is just sit. All I ask is if and when you cannot just sit, you turn yourself to the pen and paper that I'm going to supply for you. And I want you to write. Ruben, it doesn't matter what you write, how you write, whether it's spelled correctly or if it's just a big mess. I don't care. No one will read it, okay? But I want you to keep writing continuously without stopping until you feel like you can sit again. There is a long moment of silence as Reuben considers Joe's assignment. And then Reuben says to him, does it have to be writing? Joe almost leaps out of his chair. Writing, yes, no drawing. And then he calms down and says, and if sometime in the near future, writing feels like it's a bit too difficult for you, Reuben, then you should come and find me. I'll be in my apartment doing the same thing as you, okay? I'll be writing too. And this is what Zlelponath's superpower is. The Hebrew word yeshab translates to sit. And verse 9 reads, God listened to Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. My friends, Zlelponath's superpower is sitting. Now it's here that you may be thinking to yourself, uh, Craig, sitting is not a superpower. There's no Marvel comic about sitting man. Come on, Craig, you might say. Can you imagine if they made a movie about a person who has the superpower of sitting? That would be a terrible movie. To which I would say to you, oh, they already made that movie. And the name of the movie is called Sound of Metal. Because while I've heard some people describe it as a movie about a drummer going deaf, I would describe it as a man who is learning how to sit. And if this movie sounds boring to you, I would tell you that I understand. But trust me, this is not a boring movie. It's currently sitting at 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it was nominated for seven, seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. And if I was in charge of the synopsis of this movie, I would write it as such. A man learns how to sit. That's 
what this movie is about. And if you think sitting is overrated or it wouldn't make an interesting movie, I'm fine with you feeling that way. But understand something. The screenwriters behind this movie feel very differently than you. There is a scene toward the end of the movie where Ruben goes back to Joe after a long hiatus. And Ruben has been through a very difficult and stressful time. So stressful at all that he's starting to feel like life is meaningless. And in frustration, he signs to Joe the following conversation. He says, like, what does it matter? What does it matter, Joe? All of this just passes. Yo, if I disappear, like, who cares? Nobody cares, man. Seriously, yo. And that's okay. That's life. That's life, Joe. No, for real, okay? It just passes. It just freaking, freaking passes. And after receiving these heavy words, Joe pauses and then signs back to Reuben. I wonder, all these mornings you've been sitting in my study, sitting. Have you, Reuben, had any moments of stillness? Because you're right, Reuben. The world does keep moving, and it can be a damn cruel place. But for me, those moments of stillness, that place, that's the kingdom of God. Now, when this moment happened, when I was watching the movie, I remember thinking to myself, what did they just say? Kingdom of God? We're talking about kingdom of God now? Oh, okay, sure. I mean, the kingdom of God was Jesus' preferred metaphor for talking about the motion, movement, and nearness of God in our reality. And here's this movie, from what I can tell is not a Christian movie, talking about very Christian themes. And I'm thinking to myself, when did this happen and how did this get in here? So let's talk about what this is for a moment. When Joe says that stillness, that's the kingdom of God, we have to own the fact that this is a metaphor. It's not like Joe literally believes that all of a sudden he's living under a different empirical system where God's in charge and he pays different taxes to other people. There's no literal kingdom. No, the words he uses to describe sitting in stillness are transcendent words. Words that admit that there's a limit to language to what can actually be described as experience. Something happens in that stillness that Joe would describe as sacred. Which brings us back to the story of Zlel Poneth and her superpower of sitting. We read about how she sits in a field and then an angel from God visits her. This angel is a metaphor describing the same thing that is occurring in the sound of metal in a movie thousands of years after this story either occurred or was written down. And Zlalpanath experiences something sacred in the stillness that is still accessible in her time or in our time today. 
There is a commonality between what Joe shares in this movie and what Zlelponeth experiences in the Bible. And they can both be described using the words of the psalmist when they write, Be still and know that I am God. There is an ancient idea embedded in this story, brought forward in the Psalms and talked about in the movie Sound of Metal, that is still true today. Something holy occurs when we sit in stillness. And the truth behind this sentiment is simple and elegant and timeless, which is why religion is so deeply threatened by it. Now, religion is represented in this story by Zlelponeth's husband, Manoah. Because upon seeing the angel the second time, Zlelponeth runs to her husband and says, the angel has returned. She brings Manoah back with her to the angel, and immediately Manoah asks him the most literal, basic, and concrete questions, even though he's talking to a celestial being. His questions are, are you the man who spoke with this woman? And can you verify what you said to this woman? Because she told me, but I'm not sure I believe her. And between those two questions, I get the sense that Manoah is asking the same question that the church would ask. Do you believe this literally happened? Because that's what's important here. <laughs> and so Manoah asks the angel, did this literally happen? Can I trust my wife? And the angel says, yes, it happened just as she said. And Manoah hears that answer from the angel and basically responds, eh, I don't know. To which I picture the angel looking at him and saying, are you serious? I'm right here. I'm glowing. I've got wings. What other proof do you need? But Manoah wants to ask two more questions, which are the most religious questions I could possibly imagine for this scenario. He says, will you allow us to detain you? <laughs> what? <laughs> this is very much in line with organized religion today. To give you an example of this, I want to tell you a story. I was recently driving around a town not too far from here, and I saw a sign outside of a church that said, experience God's changing power. And I looked at the sign, and I thought to myself, that's a great reminder. And then I looked below those four words, and listed below those four words were two times, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6 p.m. They listed a time for when God's changing power could occur. And given the fact that there are 168 hours in the week, my question is, why can't God's changing power exist in the other 166 hours of the week? Oh, religion loves, loves to detain God and say, come to our service so that you can experience God when nothing could be further from the truth. Manoah wants to try to capture this moment in the stillness so that he can own it. And then with his last question, he asks the angel, what's your name? Now this is a really fascinating question. And note that earlier in the stories, Lelponeth admitted that she never thought to ask the angel for the angel's name. But why does this man 
Manoah, want to know this angel's name. The great Richard Rohr once wrote about this. He says, the ego gets what it wants with words, but the soul finds what it needs in silence. I think this is a great way of looking at this story between Manoah and Zlalpanath. Manoah represents the ego and Zlalpanath represents the soul. And here's Manoah, the ego, trying to get a name for the angel so he can tell everyone he knows about the angel that he met. But the angel's response is brilliant. The angel says, why do you ask my name? It is too wonderful. And we never hear the angel's name. Then after another moment, the angel disappears. And it's only once the angel is gone that Manoah realizes that the angel was actually an angel. And his response is crippling and debilitating fear. He looks at his wife, Slalponeth, and says, we're going to die. This is awful. We just spoke with an angel. We are surely doomed. But Slalponeth is not afraid. She talks sense into Manoah, goes on with her life, and gives birth to her son, who she names Samson. And the story of Samson begins. I find Zlalpanath to be so inspiring because I believe that she invites us to sit in the stillness with her. And I know it's easy for our brains to go to this analytical mode of this story and start asking questions like, was there really an angel? And if there was an angel, why don't angels appear in our timeline? And do angels actually exist? And can I actually believe this story without feeling like a crazy person? That's because that's your head. That's your ego trying to interpret the story. For me, what this story is about is it's about heart. And here's the story of a woman who very long ago understood something about where to understand and experience and encounter God. It's here in the stillness that she finds something to be holy. The reason why I find Slalpana to be such a role model is because she is inviting us to sit in the stillness with her because this is where she encounters God. And the idea that you can encounter God or connection or a profound insight or enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, in the stillness of our lives is an idea that is as old as the Bible is itself, as wide as many religions and valuable to people who do not even find value in terms like God. And those transcendent moments require us to go to language that tell us that there's limits to our language to describe what happens there. Going back to the sound of metal, Joe says, but for me, those moments of stillness, that place, that's the kingdom of God. He then goes on to tell Reuben who is believing that life is meaningless, these words, he says, and Reuben, that place will never abandon you. This scene was deeply moving to me. The reason for this is because I grew up in a tradition that valued a practice known as the Sabbath. And 
what I appreciated about the Sabbath was the fact that there was one day a week where I did not work. I absolutely loved this practice while I was in architecture school at Montana State University. But then I decided to become a pastor that worked on Sabbath. And let me tell you something. It was a very difficult adjustment for me to find stillness again without the traditional boundaries of Sabbath that I had for my entire life growing up. So I've tried to reclaim this stillness in a number of ways. I tried keeping the Sabbath on Sunday and failed. I tried waking up early and staring at a candle and failed. I tried going on walks to experience the stillness, and I will tell you that I failed. I've tried all sorts of things in an effort to reclaim some sort of sacred time where I can sit in the stillness because I've desired that so heavily. And then all of a sudden, on a whim, I decide to watch The Sound of Metal because I kept hearing people talk about it, and they described how to sit in the stillness with real practical terms. So I bought a pad of paper, I pulled out a pen, and I started waking up early to try and sit in stillness in the way that the movie described. The whole idea was that I would not view any thought that entered my head as an enemy, but instead I would just accept it, embrace it, and write it down. I would write as fast and as long as it took me to get every thought out of my head so that I could empty my mind and just sit there in the quiet. All I was going for was to be able to sit like Slelponis sat thousands of years ago. I watched this movie three weeks ago. And almost every day for those three weeks, I woke up, had a cup of coffee, and sat down and wrote. And can I tell you what I found? Redlands is much prettier than I thought it was three weeks ago. I've often been stressed out by the fact that climate change is destroying this planet at an alarming rate. I think it's absolutely important for us to work to better the planet and make sure that we do what we can to preserve the planet. But you know what was missing from that equation for me? I wasn't taking time to sit down and enjoy the creation that I so desperately wanted to be preserved. I've now listened to birds singing for 40 minutes uninterrupted, and I love it. When I started this practice three weeks ago, I have to tell you, the number one thing that I was writing in my journal was, I sure hope this lasts. I sure hope this lasts because I was so jaded and cynical that this would just be another attempt like all the attempts that had gone before it. I have to tell you that even as I am confessing this ritual to you, which has been very personal and private for me, <laughs> I'm nervous that I might get some sort of recognition for this time and stillness that I've spent. And that'll make me not want to do it unless I have recognition. I am just starting out on this journey, but I have to tell you in these past three weeks, this system has worked better for me than anything else I have tried. And who knows, 
I may stop doing this ritual this next week. I don't know. But I can tell you that for three weeks at least, it's been really helpful. And I'm speaking to you today not to try to get you to practice this ritual verbatim. I'm speaking to you today because I know how busy we are. At this point, we are more connected to our work and our productivity than ever before. Not only that, but there's so much emphasis on production and creating good in the world. And we are aware of more and more of things that need to be done. And that's all well and good, but there has to be time for stillness. And my desire for you as you listen to this podcast is that you may discover some form of stillness in your life. And this may be tempting to write this sermon off as a stop and smell the roses kind of sermon. And to that, I would say this is not what I'm talking about. I am talking about the idea that you are a human being. And there has to be a point where you remind yourself that you do not exist on this planet to buy things. You exist for much more than this. And sometimes it's as simple as stopping and listening to creation around you. To remind yourself that this world keeps on spinning whether you are here or not. So you might as well enjoy what you have. There's something holy in the stillness. And after doing this ritual for three weeks, which is barely scratching the surface of what I should have been doing all this time, I would like to tell you how it has changed me. My friends, the stillness gives me an abundant awareness of the grace of our existence. I think the phrase that I've written more than anything else in my journal as I've written what's come to my mind is the phrase, I love it here. I love it here. I love it here. My prayer, my hope, my desire for you is that you may sit with me in stillness. That you may sit with the psalmist in stillness. That you may sit with Zlel Poneth in silence. And if you do, you will walk away convinced that she had some kind of superpower. May we see and embrace Jesus Christ in all, particularly this week in the silence.